Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the top 10 November-born actors in today's statistics episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Yes, we are in the heart of November right now. Uh, I'm recording this Sunday, November 12th, uh, to be released Monday, November 11th. So right in the middle of things. And that means it's time for another top 10 actors list. Uh, this list is pretty strong, I would say. All 10 of these people are in the top 100 actors, uh, statistically, on my spreadsheet. And so there's, uh, there's a lot, lot of great names on this list, uh, both current and past. And that's uh, pretty exciting. But before we get into the top 10, uh, just... Uh, a couple mention of some of the people who didn't quite make the cut and will try to do so next year. Um, looking at number 11 uh, is Sam Rockwell. Uh, perhaps if three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri had come out a little bit earlier in the year, he might have made a, had a chance to break into the top 10. Uh, a couple of the names here. Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, sitting at uh, 12th. Peter Mullen. Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jodie Foster, uh, Wallace Shawn, Mark Ruffalo, Jim Cummings, uh, let's see, Ethan Hawke, Tony Collette, Burt Lancaster, Richard Kind, voice of Bing Bong from Inside Out, uh, and and a lot of other people. There, there's some really great names in November, uh, and I. You know, a lot of those, like Sam Rockwell, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, these are people I think are, are fantastic. Ethan Hawke, um, they've been in some of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that's not going to be enough. They, they don't quite have the resume to make it into the top ten right now. And like I mentioned, uh, Sam Rockwell, I think it is highly likely that he will be in the top ten when three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri comes out. It only needs to get a rating in the 60s, and right now it seems like it's going to be better than that. So I think he'll definitely spend some time in the top 10 between now and next November, but uh, that could all change. Anything, you know, everything can change in a year, and uh, who knows how many more of his films I'll have seen by then. So that being said, uh, I think we should move in to the top 10 get a look at what names we're really dealing with and uh, go go get to it get to it here we go top 10 debuting at number 10 in November born November 4th 1919 and dying February 13th 1996 at the age of 76. Um, our number 10 is, an, is a New York actor uh, who has 10 films on his resume uh, that I've seen with an average film rating of 78. Uh, he only has one film rated below a 50 
so three films rated in the 90s, two films in the 80s, two in the 70s, two in the 60s, and one film rated between 25 and 49. Uh, I currently have no Oscar nominations for him. Uh, I'm not sure that he ever got one. Um, a brief... He He did. Uh, and actually has won an Oscar. Uh, however, I have not seen that film. It's uh, it's the film A Thousand Clowns. Uh, he has a value of 11, a score of 76, and is ranked 95th overall. And that is Martin Balsam. Martin Balsam uh, is a fairly prolific actor. He has 88 film credits on Letterboxd, which is quite substantial. Uh, at 10, I've only seen about 11 films of his filmography, uh, assuming this number of 88 is correct. And like I mentioned, uh, I haven't seen the film he won an Oscar for. So uh, he definitely has some plenty of good films, I'm sure, that I have not seen. Some of the ones that I have seen, um, in order of my rating as, of, as it stands right now, 12 Angry Men. Taking of Pelham 123, the original, uh, On the Waterfront, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Psycho, Murder on the Orient Express, the original, uh, All the President's Men, Cape Fear, Tora Tora Tora, and his only bad film, in my opinion, St. Elmo's Fire. So that's a pretty strong resume. I, I most remember him from 12 Angry Men, and the taking of Pelham One Two Three. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he is in the final scene of the pit taking of Pelham One Two Three uh, when uh, what's his name uh, Walter Matthau shows up at Balsam's house uh, uh, under the suspicion that the, uh, that Balsam is the is the one of the perpetrators and criminals on the taking of Pelham One Two Three, and he is. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a brilliant final shot and and kind of it's a little cheesy a little corny a little maybe a little on the nose but i think it, it fit with that film so well and and of course in 12 angry men you know he is uh, absolutely brilliant in that film uh, i i loved it uh, he he has a very significant role in that movie and uh, sydney lumet does a great job like directing him as well as everybody else in that room really so I, I was, I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan of Balsams. Uh, you know, he is more of a character and supporting actor than star leading man. Uh, hence, you know, I don't really remember him from Breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't really remember him from Psycho. Or All the President's Men, or Cape Fear, or On the Waterfront, or Murder on the Orient Express. You know, he he pops into my head from 12 Angry Men and The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. And that's pretty good. Like, those, those are my two of his favorite movies that he's been in. Uh, so, so it's good that those are the ones that I, you know, associate him with. And I think that he's... I don't, I don't know. Like I, I'm interested now to see his, like now you know actually talking about it and, and going over it. I'm interested to look and, and finally get a look at his Oscar-winning film, uh, A Thousand Clowns, came out in 1965, uh, starring Jason Robards, Barbara Harris, Martin Balsam, 
and uh, it's uh, comedy, drama, romance, mm, sort of a film. I don't. I really don't know anything about it. I hadn't heard of it prior to just this second. Uh, but that is pretty far down his uh, film list in, as far as letterboxed popularity. So uh, some some of the films I haven't seen of his that are fairly popular on Letterboxd include the uh, Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum, Cape Fear, uh, Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman, Catch-22, The Sentinel, Death Wish 3, that seems pretty... Seven Days in May, uh, Ombre, starring Paul Newman, The Delta Force with Chuck Norris, um, The Anderson Tapes with Sean Connery. Uh, so de- a lot of those are I definitely heard of you know Catch Twenty Two, Little Big Man, Cape Fear. Uh, definitely films I'm familiar with. I, I've, I'm aware of. Uh, I've seen the original Death, the first Death Wish. I wasn't a big fan of it, but um, so surprised that the, that that Balsam would even be in the third version of it. Um, so there. So. Uh, and then, you know, there's plenty of other films, like, scrolling down the list here. None of them are, are particularly recognizable, though. Uh, so, he's got a lot of movies, and definitely a substantial, you know, list that, you know, makes his, his current position at 10th quite, uh, I don't know, up in the air, I would say. It's not solid by any stretch, uh, you know, and that's because he's been in the fewest number of films out of these top ten people. I think that he's... I, I, I don't know. It, it's tough, you know. He's been in three absolutely fantastic films. You know, 12 Ring of Man, Taking a Pelham, On the Waterfront. So it's difficult to kind of go out and say that he's got potential to move up, but... You know he's he's kind of in that position where you know he he I've seen the most famous of his films and assuming I at least see uh, a thousand clowns between now and and next year I think that'll be the the Oscar boost will kind of give him enough legs to kind of keep in the top ten but I think he is in somewhat of a precarious position so that's Martin Balsam. Number 10 in November, number 93 overall, uh, and, and a quite, a, quite a fantastic actor who we, we dearly miss in the film industry. Moving on to number 9. Uh, number 9 is another deceased actor, unfortunately. It's a, a shame that such a thing happened. But he, he was... Quite old, born in the UK, November tenth, eighteen eighty nine. So you know it would be statistically impossible for him to still be alive. What's that? One hundred twenty eight years. I, I, I'm not sure we've hit that point yet, to the best of my knowledge. Either way, uh, with eleven films to his name and an average film rating of 74.64, yielding a value of 11.5, and three current Academy Award nominations for his performances. 
this person has a score of 76.15 and is ranked 91st overall. So four spots above Balsam, Martin Balsam, and 15 hundredths of a point ahead of him is Claude Rains. Now, Claude Rains <clears throat> is, I, I would say, in my opinion, uh, a far superior actor to Martin Balsam. I think he has shown countless times that he is capable of carrying a film from start to finish, and that uh, <clears throat> his mere inclusion uh, elevates the level of a film within it. Uh, you know, looking at some absolute fantastic films like Casablanca, like Lawrence of Arabia, uh, like uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. You know, these are four films, all rated in the 90s, that he's been in, uh, and I believe two of them he, he was nominated for an Oscar in, Casablanca and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He's the third Oscar, comes from uh, a film called Notorious, which... I'm not quite as high on as I think many are, but I, I I don't I do I do enjoy the movie. I think it's a good movie, just not to the level as as many people seem to. So Claude Rains uh, got a lot more recognition, I think, than a Martin Balsam for his performances, and I'm pretty pleased with with where he's at right now. I I kind of think he's definitely more likely to move up than Martin Balsam is. Uh, he was born in 1889, passing away in uh, on May 30th, 1967, to the, at the age of 77. Uh, he is quite, you know, he, he, what's interesting is, uh, and this is, this is mostly for me, from my point of view, but, you know, I look at a Casablanca and a Lawrence of Arabia, Mr. Smith goes watching Adventures of Robin Hood, and as prominent and, and important as Claude Rains is to those films, he isn't the thing that pops out to me in any of those movies. You know, he's not Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. You know, he's not uh, Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia. He's not Bergman or Bogart in Casablanca. Uh, he's not Flynn in Robin Hood. He he is definitely a significant presence in these films, but he is not the first person you think of. And strangely, the the first film, or the film that make I think of Claude Rains of uh, that makes me think of Claude Rains the most uh, prominent is The Invisible Man, in which you really never see him. He's hidden by bandages and cloth, and and is uh, oftentimes invisible. Hence the title. But somehow, and this is kind of like his powers, I guess, his his prowess as an actor, is even in The Invisible Man, I can still, I see him clearer in that film than in any of the others. You know, and I think that's just such a testament to his, his, his ac acumen, his acting acumen, and simply that, you know, he is given liberty to really do anything he wants to in that film. And he he makes the best use of everything at his disposal. Uh, he is is capable of just doing and emoting so much through just his voice, through just small mannerisms that you can barely notice, uh, and and just the way that the character acts and 
when you can see the outline of his body, when you can make out what his hands or feet or arms and legs and body are doing, that those are movements he that that feel so inherently Claude Rains. And I, I'm it's it's kind of stunning. You know, I, I think The Invisible Man is a good movie. I, I I wouldn't give it you know, I gave it a seventy seventy. So, you know, it's not fantastic, it's not exceptional, but for this time it is quite a remarkable <clears throat> relic and it definitely holds up fairly well even today the effects and and everything else uh, but you know he he seems to get a lot of a lot more recognition for you know his performances in Casablanca and and Mr. Smith and and Lawrence and those are great performances I, I don't begrudge those at all I think he's fantastic in those I think he He's one of the pillars that holds up those performances alongside the Bogarts, the Bergmans, the O'Toole's, the Stewarts. And, you know, he he is get, he has enough agency in those movies where a weak performance would, you know, leave the whole film uneven, would leave things unstable. And he's he's never he never shows that weakness. He doesn't have it. Not that I've seen at this point anyway. And, you know, given that I've only seen 11 films out of, according to Letterboxd, 63. So that's that's a paltry, like, 17, 18%. Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a huge and significant amount of films left. That's 52 films to go. And so some of those, uh, sorted by popularity on Letterboxd, are the 1941 film The Wolfman. 1943's Phantom of the Opera, The Seahawk from 1940, 1965's The Greatest Story Ever Told, uh, Mr. Skeffington with Betty Davis, The Passionate Friends with Anne Todd, uh, Where Danger Lives with Robert Mitchum, and uh, Anthony Adverse, The Passage to Marseille, Moontide, Four Daughters, Caesar and Cleopatra, Cleopatra, Deception, The Unsuspected, The Lost World from 1960. Like, there are tons of films uh, of his, and a lot of quite recognizable ones. I, I'm not entirely sure. I'm going to have to check this out. Because uh, I've seen I've seen three Oscar-nominated performances of his. I He does have one other that I haven't seen, and that's his Mr. Skeffington uh, role with Betty Davis. So, so there is uh, some guaranteed points there. Uh, if when when I get around to that, that'll definitely be on the must-watch for next year's November top ten list. But there's a lot of good films, you know, and a lot of films here that I, I'm very familiar with and have known about. And you know, it's just a matter of time before I get to them. Uh, so, so it, it's it's you know, I I like Claude Rains. He's, he, you know, he's got that kind of English charm and as evil and as bad as some of his characters might be, you can't help but kind of love the guy. And I, I, I really enjoy that about him. I, I think he's kind of fantastic in, in pulling off that dichotomy. It's, it's very fascinating. 
So that's number nine. In November, Claude Rains uh, ranked 91st overall. Moving on to number eight. Number eight is uh, uh, the first living person on the list, also the first female on this list, born in Massachusetts, November 19th, 1959. So in about a week or so, this person will turn, say it with me, everybody, 58. That's right. Uh, this is uh, someone with 35 film credits to their name on my spreadsheet, an average film rating of 64.29. Uh, broken up somewhat fairly evenly, uh, a little low on the 90s rated films, only two there, but 10 films rated in the 80s, uh, the highest on that category in this month. And in fact, the only person that hits double digits in any category, uh, in any uh, at any position on this top 10 list uh, with no Oscar nominations at the moment there is talk of her getting one this year though and a film value of 17 she has a total score of 77.81 that's about a point and a half higher than our friend Claude Rains and she is ranked uh, 67th overall I do I do believe Yes. And that is none other than Allison Janney, uh, known uh, as, as not just a, a film actor, but also she played uh, a pretty, pretty prominent and significant role on the long-lived sh uh, show The West Wing, written by Aaron Sorkin. But she has also found quite a significant niche in film. She is generally a, uh, a supporting character, um, and doesn't really take to the leading roles as often as some some others do, particularly uh, a Claude Rains, even. And just kind of scrolling down through all of her films here, I don't see any of them in which she would be considered the main or one of the lead characters. But nonetheless, she has a very impressive filmography to speak of. Uh, leading the way, and in my opinion, the best film she's been in is Finding Nemo, in which, if I'm not mistaken, she voices the starfish in the dentist's office. Yes, uh, and that is... I, I, I'm... It's, it's half her and half just Pixar at that time period that makes the my memory of that entire movie and and ev pretty much every character in that movie such a vivid memory you know i can i can see the i can see her her now you know in the tank in the dentist's office you know um you know you know rise and shine they're about to you know it's the morning that they're going to escape and you know she's like trying to wake everybody up and she's like the tank is clean <gasps> the tank is clean like that's that's a moment that sticks with you. It's such a such a frustrating moment because you want these fish to escape and then there's this new tank cleaning device and all of a sudden you know you just can't just can't beat it. It's it's humans are pretty pretty fucking awful. That's sidetracked. Otherwise, uh finding Nemo 
fantastic. Uh, she's also in the Nicole Holof Center film Walking and Talking. Uh, those are her two films right in the 90s. Her host of films right in the 80s uh, go from Margaret to Juno to American Beauty to The Help, 10 Things I Hate About You, Big Night, The Way Way Back, The Hours, Nurse Betty, and finally, Liberal Arts. Uh, a wide swath of films there, mostly dramedies in some capacity. Uh, she's not quite someone that really hits in, in the... Uh, the sort of genre fair, I would say. She doesn't tend to dip her toes into uh, like sci-fi and fantasy stuff. And the closest she comes there are animated films like Mr. Peabody and Sherman, like Over the Hedge. Uh, or um, as far as live action goes, I would say the only one is really Miss Peregrine from last year. That, from what I can see, and, and that's only the 35 films I've seen, which is, I think, a fair amount. Um, according to Letterboxd, I've actually only seen 34, but we all know how accurate they can be sometimes. Uh, Letterboxd says 34 out of 66. Um, we're going to go ahead and say 35 out of 67, but still ends up about 53%, give or take, so a little more than half. And I've seen most of them, but there are a good number of films on this list that I'm well aware of and haven't gotten around to. Uh, not in, in, Including, but not limited to, Drop Dead Gorgeous from 1999, Wolf from 1994, Primary Colors 98, Private Parts 97, uh, A Thousand Words, the Eddie Murphy movie from 2012, uh, this year's release, I, Tanya. Strangers with Candy, The Object of My Affection, um, the rest of them aren't quite so familiar, and I would say that's kind of about it in terms of the recognizable ones, but that's still, that's still quite a few movies given I've already seen 35. You know, this isn't Samuel L. Jackson who has 150 credits. This is Allison Janney. She has like 60-some credits. Uh, she is, I think, very underlooked and, and very underrated. I think, I, I really hope that she gets the, the nomination for her performance in I, Tanya. I have not seen the movie, so uh, we're, I, she isn't currently in my predictions, but if when I do see it, I feel confident that she'll 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 make a dent for a little bit at least and spend some time there if not end up there ultimately maybe win i i don't know who's to say uh i think i don't think the movie goes wide for like another month or so if i'm remembering the schedule correctly but uh for me i i think honestly i think uh, the West Wing is my most familiar with her performances. She plays C.J. Craig. She is the press secretary at the White House. Uh, and I believe later becomes the chief of staff. I, I'll, be, I'll confess, like, I haven't finished the series. I'm only... I think I made it to, like, the fourth season, I think. I... Hmm. I'm also 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I didn't finish that. Uh, kind of diverted my time back to movies uh, sometime after getting deep into the West Wing. But I just, like, I, I can see her so clearly in that film. And she just fits that character so well that it's hard to picture her as anything else. And so, you know, I can remember her voice from Finding Nemo. You know, I think she's very um, memorable in Juno. I actually, I love her performance in Juno. That's uh, definitely a favorite of mine of hers. And uh, if and when I ever get down to the 2007 Circle of Film Awards, I think she's a good contender for a nomination in that. Although there's a lot of 2007 films, so I, I won't jump the gun on that just yet. And then it's kind of just all down to the reason why she's ranked 8th. So uh, clearly it has a lot to do with the fact that her value is a lot higher than Claude Rains, Martin Balsam. It's like 6 points higher than both of theirs. But for 35 films, uh, she has been remarkably clean as far as where the films are rated. So the biggest issues she's had have been... Minions, the Minions short film, Binky Nelson Unpacified, uh, both bad, Minions rated awfully. Uh, the Girl on the Train last year, bad movie. Uh, Tammy, bad. I, I don't want her to continue to collaborate with Melissa McCarthy, even though I did enjoy Spy, and I think Spy is good. I think that on average, you're going to end up losing points from collaborating with Melissa McCarthy. Uh, and then her other awful film, she has three, so Minions, Tammy, and then as well uh, Struck by Lightning, which I think was penned by Chris Colfer of Glee. And it shows, you know, he's not exactly, you know, a, a world-class writer. He's not the worst, but he's definitely got some uh, some growing to do in that respect. I liked her in Talala, uh, Netflix movie from last year if I re remember correctly I thought she was pretty good in that and looking through the rest none of these others really jump out at me um, mm -mm. I mean there are movies I really enjoy like American Beauty, 10 Things I Hate About You uh, Margaret, great movies but I just her lasting impression in these movies was not huge it, it was substantial but it wasn't enough that I'm like, man, I really remember this scene, that scene, you know, what have you. It's it's very much she contributed, she did her work, and she kind of moved on to the next thing. And I think that's endemic of the fact that she doesn't do leading roles. And I don't know if that's an issue with casting. I don't know if there just aren't enough films with leading ladies of her caliber of her age like obviously Meryl Streep finds those roles and like a Helen Mirren and a Judi Dench but you know they're not exactly a one-for-one -one ratio between those actors so I would love to see her lead a film next year I would thoroughly enjoy that I, I hope it happens but until then uh, we're just gonna have to settle for hopefully a supporting actress nomination for I, Tanya. So, Allison Janney, number eight in November, and number 67 overall.
On to number seven, and this is a significantly younger person, uh, and in fact, the youngest of the top ten. Born in California, November 19th, same birthday as Allison Janney, except he was born 24 years later, is in, in 1983, with 14 film credits, an average film rating of 73.29, and his lowest rated film being rated 50, meaning he has no bad films to speak of as of yet. With a value of 14, that puts, uh, and, and no Oscar nominations, that puts his total score at 78.13, about three-tenths higher than Allison Janney. <clears throat> Ranked 62nd overall, five spots above Allison Janney, is Adam Driver. <clears throat> Adam Driver, uh, star of Star Wars The Force Awakens, as well as Silence, as well as Patterson, uh, and featured in Inside Lewin Davis, Lincoln, Logan Lucky, Francis Ha, Midnight Special, While We're Young, The Marowitz Stories, among others. Uh, he is making quite a name for himself. Uh, those are some of the best movies to come out in the last couple of years. And if not the best, certainly uh, some of the biggest and most talked about in terms of Force Awakens, in terms of Lincoln, uh, Marowitz stories, While We're Young, his co collaborations with Manoa Baumbach have been very, very good for him. Uh, his brilliant role in Jim Jarmusch's Patterson, I think, is astonishing. I love him in that movie. I wasn't completely uh, excited by his performance in Silence. I think both he and Andrew Garfield struggle in that film to, to really hold my attention and, and to really convince me that he's, uh, he's, he's capable of taking on that kind of an accent, that kind of a role. But he does have a pretty heartbreaking scene in that film. Uh, his roles in Francis Ha... And, and Inside Lewin Davis and um, and a couple of his other films are quite minor, but nonetheless they are relevant. And and you know I like Francis Ha. I think Logan Lucky's okay at best. Uh, so you know, and I I enjoy his performance in Midnight Special. I, I liked his character in that, the kind of cop reporter slash you know ultimate friend to the people on the run sort of a role I, I like that a lot and uh, obviously the Cohen uh, the Cohen brothers inside Lewin Davis he's got a small role but it's the 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 scene early on in that film where he and Justin Timberlake I believe one other person are, are singing um, and I use this for my, my countdown uh, I use that song for my countdown uh, the the interlude into my top 10 lists I think it's just hilarious I think he is so funny I think he has an incredible humor I loved him on girls and he he was my absolute favorite character for the majority of that show and I'm really really glad that he's found a lot of work and has been given such a high such a bright light to shine on, on him and you know he's able to make the best use of it and you know some people criticized 
Kylo Ren in Force Awakens. I loved Kylo Ren in Force Awakens. I can't wait to see him in Last Jedi. Uh, he's one of my favorite villains. And I think that the idea of him being a kind of petulant child is part of the character. And so I am completely and totally on board with everything he's doing. Uh, he hasn't hit all of his films out of the park. Uh, you know, there are some films, like I mentioned, he does have some stuff rated in the in the 50s, including Logan Lucky, but also including This Is Where I Leave You, kind of an ensemble dramedy uh, from 2014 that also features Jason Bateman, Tina Fey, uh, Rose Byrne, Corey Stoll, among others. And that's fine. I don't even really remember him in it, but... 14 films is not a lot. It's, you know, other than Claude Rains and Martin Balsam, it is the lowest quantity in this top 10 list. However, it's 14 out of 23 films that have currently been released that he's in. And that's 61%. So that's quite a substantial number. Uh, he has nine films on Letterboxd that I haven't seen. Only... Two of them are films that I, I know of their existence. Uh, the first is J. Edgar, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, which uh, is reportedly the first feature film performance from Driver, uh, as well as the, the other film of his that I, I'm familiar with in name is Gaby from 2012. Uh, the rest, uh, Hungry Hearts, You Don't Know Jack, Bluebird, Not Waving But Drowning, these are not films I'm familiar with, but there's Adam Driver, so I presume I'll get to them at some point. Uh, I I definitely think, for me, Patterson is his best performance, and to the extent that um, you know, I, I he's nominated in for Patterson in. The Circle of Film Awards from last year. It's Patterson's sole, sole nomination, but I think Driver really shows us something that I've never seen from him. He is so quiet and so contemplative and, you know, so different from the characters he's played before, and yet it wasn't kind of, you know, I didn't look at him and think you know, this is wrong. I didn't look at him and think, you know, I wish he was doing his kind of little more off-the-walls character from Girls. I wasn't trying to see him be more of a child, like in The Force Awakens. I didn't think he'd be uh, whatever he was doing in silence. He was he was in a character, he was committed to that character, and he, he really just knocks that role out of the park. Um, and as great as I think his performance in Patterson is, and as great as I think Patterson is as well, uh, for me, his best film is Inside Lewin Davis. I think Cohen, the Coens really knocked that film out of the park, and I think that it's a underrated film. I know a lot of people enjoy it. For me, it is one of, if not the best, Coen Brothers movie. And I'm, I, I just, I think Oscar Isaac's great, fantastic in it. He he carries that film, and Adam Driver provides some good background noise you know he is just quirky enough that he he he's funny and memorable but doesn't 
take anything away from the film. And I think that's just kind of perfect, right where it should be. As far as the films upcoming that he is in but have not been released, this includes films such as Star Wars, The Last Jedi, maybe you've heard of it, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, supposed to come out next year, directed by Terry Gilliam, starring Michael Palin, Adam Driver, Olga Kurlenko, Stellan Skarsgård are reportedly attached to the film, uh, as well as two films, no posters here, Annette, directed by Leos Carax, who directed, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, he's French, uh, but he directed Holy Motors, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, this stars Adam Driver Michelle Williams, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, as well as Tough As They Come, uh, directed by Sylvester Stallone, starring Adam Driver and Sylvester Stallone. About an army staff sergeant, played by Adam Driver, who is in his third tour of duty, and loses all four of his limbs to an IED explosion in Afghanistan. Uh... Sounds like it's based on a real thing. I Man, Sylvester Stallone is directing. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I, I'll, I'll reserve judgment. I think Sylvester... I, Stallone's a decent and okay director. I don't know... I mean, The Expendables is meh. But, you know, I think Rocky... Balboa, you know, I think some, most, he does a decent job with the Rocky movies. I don't know how good he's going to be stepping outside of that genre, but we'll see. We'll see. So, Adam Driver, number seven in November, number 62 overall. Moving on to number six. Uh, this is another living person uh, born in Missouri on November 29th in 1964. So uh, later this month, he will be turning 53 uh, with 23 film credits and an average film rating of 69.22. A very strong resume with four films rated below 50, one Oscar nomination, no wins, a value of 17.5, and a ultimately summed up score of 81.68 to be ranked 40th overall, we have broken into the top 50, is Don Cheadle. Cheadle is fantastic, firstly, but um, beyond that, he is the main, or was, I guess, I think the show's over, he was the main character um, in that show, what is it called? I cannot think of it. It was um, it's a really good show. I'll have to look it up. Don Cheadle TV show. House of Lies. I knew it was like a different other show. I couldn't think of what it was. House of Cards. House of Lies. Cheadle crushes that show uh, for sure. But that is probably not what he is most known for. As of Iron Man 2, he assumed the character... Uh, Rhodes. I believe there's a better title. Uh, James Rhodes. Rhodey. Uh, as the Iron Patriot. 
uh, alongside Iron Man and Iron Man 2. He later recur had a recur... Uh, I don't know why I can't talk. He later returned to the series in Iron Man 3, Avengers Age of Ultron, and finally Captain America Civil War. He has portrayed this character four times and I believe is certain to show up in Infinity War uh, perhaps again after that at some point. But that is not all he's good for. Uh, he is more than just a blockbuster hit. He has played a lot of fantastic characters ranging from his Oscar-nominated performance uh, in Hotel Rwanda which is a terribly, terribly depressing movie. Mm, excuse me. His supporting character roles in the ensemble, in the Oceans movies ensembles, as well as Crash as another ensemble. He has a very funny role in Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights, another fantastic film. Uh, he does good things in traffic in flight uh, I, I loved the guard actually which is a probably underseen film uh, it's got 12k views on letterboxd I still feel like not a lot of, not too many people have seen it it's really good though Brendan Gleeson and, and Don Cheadle are two policemen and that's all you need to know he stars alongside George Clooney and out of sight another quite good movie and Surprisingly good movie, Rain Over Me, uh, alongside Adam Sandler. He was in Bullworth, another fantastic film, in my opinion. And a few other things, that, maybe not quite as good, like The Family Man, uh, Kevin Hart's What Now. I think Devil in a Blue Dress uh, is fine. I don't, Swordfish is terrible. Uh, Rush Hour 2 is not so good either. So, you know, he's had a couple of misses and misfires, but on the whole, Cheadle is a pretty fantastic actor. I totally buy the bill of goods he's selling in anything he's in, and I do look forward to seeing him in most things. But, uh, like I said, I've seen 23 films that he's been in. Letterboxd tallies at that number at 22. Uh, so a little discrepancy there, and claims that he has 51 film credits currently released, with two to come. One of those will be Infinity War, and some of the films of his I haven't seen. Um, so about 55% I have not seen, and some of those include Mission to Mars, which I've heard meh things about. Uh, Miles Ahead I've heard wasn't that great. Uh, he was also in Hotel for Dogs. Uh, the Tommy Lee Jones Volcano movie, Brooklyn's Finest, Colors from 1988 with Robert Duvall, Sean Penn, The United States of Leland, uh, 2008's Traitor, The Assassination of Richard Nixon, Talk to Me uh, from 2007, uh, and uh, The Meteor Man from 1993. A lot of... a, a handful of films that I, I think are quite familiar a lot of people but for the most part I've seen his biggest movies and I you know he's he's scheduled to appear in both Infinity War and then Avengers 4 
which will presumably become the new most popular films for him at that point. So I I don't know. I I do like I like Cheadle in pretty much everything he's in. Uh, he's never usually the reason a film is bad, but I would like to see him go back to a more like of a another do another. I don't know, Traffic, Hotel Rwanda, Boogie Nights kind of character. And, you know, that's what made me, that's why I enjoy The the Guard so much, you know. It's a 20, 2011 film, but it, it just harkens back to kind of Cheadle as more of an indie indie actor, someone who, I don't know, he, he's not an action star in that movie. He's just a normal kind of cop, and I quite enjoy his performance in it. I think he does a pretty good job. I, I like Cheadle. I I don't think he gets enough credit. I think he gets left off the list a lot of times when you're talking about some of the best actors around, particularly alive. And I don't know that he would necessarily be in my top 10 of all time, but you know he's ranked 40th on my spreadsheet, which is pretty fucking good. And I would say... I would say he he's definitely better than most people give him credit for, even if they're like putting him in their top fifties. As far as acting talent goes, I do think that he is definitely one of the one of the better actors out there. And I think that a lot of people kind of default to Denzel as the foremost leading, um, highest quality actor that's not like a Daniel Day Lewis or a. a or, or Tom Hanks, and sometimes better than those, at, uh, depending on you know who you ask and what films you're talking about and have come out. But I do think Don Cheadle deserves a, a significant portion of that conversation, and I hope he, he gets his due, because he he's so good in Hotel Rwanda. I really hope he can find another really great role like that again. So that's number six, Don Cheadle. Ranked 40th overall. We made it to the halfway point here, and coming up next is number five, born in Arizona, November 14th, 1904, dying, unfortunately, in, on October 20th, 2000, at the age of 95. With 16 film credits to their name, an average film rating of 75.31, only two bad films to speak of, and no, none of them are awful, no Oscar nominations, and value of 15, he has a score of 81.94. That's two point. That's .26 points higher than Cheadle, and as such is one spot above him. Cheadle ranked 40th, Arthur Tovey ranked 39th. Arthur Tovey, probably not a name you're very familiar with. Uh, he is... In my opinion, uh, not like an actor. <laughs> I I don't know how to really say it better than that. He he's you know he's been in some pretty great movies, but all in all, he, you know he is kind of like a lesser known male version of. Of, of best flowers the the extra that's in everything 
I think Arthur Tophy gets a little bit more to do, sometimes getting a line here or there, but for the most part, these films that he's in, he's not really a big part of them. But when you listen to this resume, it's pretty difficult not to consider this one of the better filmographies going. Uh, so sorted by popularity on Letterboxd, uh, we have such such absolute classics as Back to the Future, Rocky, North by Northwest, Some Like It Hot, To Kill a Mockingbird, Young Frankenstein, The Killing, The Sting, The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Lady from Shanghai, Witness for the Prosecution, and that's not including... Uh, perhaps the most famous of all, Batman from 1966. Haven't seen it, I'll confess, but definitely a, a very meme-worthy movie. I don't even know what his role in is. It, I, I just, uh, it's funny. I just think it's funny. But he's a cop in Batman. So, that's 11 films of his that I've seen. Uh, I can add, that, add to that list Adam's Rib, the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn film, the Best Picture winner, Around the World in 80 Days from 1956, 1953's War of the Worlds, and finally, The Nutty Professor, the 1996 Eddie Murphy film. Uh, but that leaves out one film that is on my list that doesn't make Letterboxd, and that is Sweet Smell of Success, another amazing movie that truly helps boost this guy's resume. He is only given 32 credits on Letterboxd. Add Sweet Smell Success, you get to 33. I believe IMDb gives him a lot more film credits than, than Letterboxd does, though. And he... Man, it is... It is uh, it's a, it's a lot of good movies. A lot of good movies on that list. And some of the films that I haven't seen of his are a little, I mean, obviously they're not going to be a Rocky or a young Frankenstein, but you know, you got your Batman, uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, uh, Karloff's The Mummy, Days of Wine and Roses, uh, The Marx Brothers' A Night in Casablanca, Who's That Girl from 1987, Son of Flubber, Mickey and Maud, The Cheap Detective, Tough Guys, you know, Abbott Costello, Trouble Along the Way with John Wayne. Um, you know, these are notable movies, and uh, who knows what else is out there when you look at IMDb. I, I've tried to... I've, I've just recently started to edit uh, the movie database, which is the primary reference point that Letterboxd uses in order to correct, uh, hopefully, accurately sync it up with what it should be as best as I can, you know, I, I don't have the time or capacity to really go back and search through everything I've ever done and, and adjust everything accordingly, but for example, like, I went through and added all the roles that I know of that Sherry Lynn has been in, uh, my current ranked number one, because Letterboxd only gave her 12 credits that I'd seen all of, and now she has 45, and I've seen 42 of them, so pretty substantial uptick. Uh, so, Arthur Tovey probably could benefit from something similar to that as well. I would probably say he's been in 50-plus films. 
you know, he was quite old and worked from like the 60s to the 90s and or the 50s to the 90s. Like that's a pretty wide swath of time to only make 30 movies, especially considering he wasn't a main character. So, you know, he is just another one of those kind of minor characters, minor character actors that has been in so many good things that it's tough to argue that they shouldn't be there with all the films they've been in but at the same time you look at this person and you're like I don't know who this person is I can look at any all of these movies that he's been in I don't remember anything about his particular role and so it kind of does feel a little disingenuous to rank them this way you know and I don't have a good sort of penalty that I can attribute to an actor in this sense as of this moment, but I do think that ultimately the filmography will win out. And you know, you look at those films that I haven't seen of his. Uh, I, I do think that, like, when I get down further, I think it's only going to drag his score down. You know, he's been in so many great movies at this point, and you know, at this point, I'm kind of just going further and further down the list at the more obscure the lesser known and less likely to be good and as far as I'm concerned. Sometimes that's not the case, but more often than not, I do feel like that is what ultimately ends up happening. So I think that Arthur Tovey is fa fantastic that he's not only in the top 50, but he's not only fifth in November, but top 50 overall. I do think that he is more than like, more likely to trend downward, uh, than anybody else on this list. So, Arthur Tovey, that's about all I can say about him. Uh, ranked 5th of November, 39th overall. Next. Next up in number 4, born in Canada, the only person on this top 10 list not from the United States or the United Kingdom. Born in Canada, November 12th, 1980, the second youngest person on this list, with 17 film credits at the moment and an average film rating of 73.53. Just three films rated below 50 and two Oscar nominations, one of them coming last year. A total film value of 16 and a score of 82.79 is Sir Ryan Gosling, ranked 33 overall. Ryan Gosling, having recently starred in the slightly disappointing but quite amazing Blade Runner 2049, and I only say slightly disappointing as far as box office receipts. I was not disappointed by the film, um, just the fact that no one went out and saw it. Come on, guys. Just go see it. Nominated for his performances for his performance last year in La La Land, as well as his performance in Half Nelson. Uh, a few years before, uh, more than a few years before that, he is surprisingly pretty good. Uh, it's not just, you know, he, he it's more than just the La La Land and the Drive and the Blade Runner. You know, he's got his Blue Valentine, Place Beyond the Pines, The Nice Guys, The Big Short, uh, Lars and the Real Girl, The Ides of March, Remember the Titans, Half Nelson. These are some pretty fantastic movies. And even some of the lesser fare, you know, The Notebook, The Crazy Stupid Love, um, you know, those aren't 
the cream of the crop, but those are still decent movies that I think he, I think Gosling's pretty good in. And I, I'm, I didn't used to get excited by seeing him, you know, even as early as recently as La La Land, I was like, really? That's the guy who's going to lead, pave the way to the best picture winner this year? I don't think so. And ultimately La La Land didn't win. And ultimately Ryan Gosling didn't win either, but you know, I preferred him in the big short acting wise. You know, I thought nice guys. He did a good job in that. I love him in drive. I love him in blue Valentine, but I hadn't really strung together just how deep his resume was. And by the time Blade Runner came out, it was, you know, pretty much a done deal that he was top 50 and it's going to take some doing to get him off. Uh, now I've seen 17 of his films, Letterboxd, uh, makes that out to be 57% of his 30 film credits. Um, some of the films on here that I haven't seen, uh, but I'm, I'm aware of are The Believer, Fracture, All Good Things, not a lot. Uh, he's also in the United States of Leland. Uh, but I've seen the majority of it. You know, the other films here that have names in them, Murder by Numbers and Stay. Uh, Ewan McGregor is in Stay. Murder by Numbers stars Sandy Bullock. And what's interesting is that Gosling has kind of draw, drawn himself toward Nicholas Winding Refn. And I'm not sure how much of a good thing that is. Um, you know, he was in Drive, Nicholas Winding Refn. He was in Only God Forgives, Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, he directed his own film, uh, and that had a, you know, Lost River was very in tune with Nicholas Winding Refn. So I'm curious to see, like, what his next step is going to be. Now, he is attached to the next Damien Chazelle film to come out next year, based on the life of Neil Armstrong, starring Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong, titled First Man. And I hope that it's good. I I love Gosling in these sort of... I think it's it's crazy how he's able to go from a performance like Drive, where he doesn't talk... And he just has this cold demeanor about him. And he's fantastic at it. To something like Blue Valentine, where he is talking, but it's like depressing and emotional and, you know, blubbering. To something like The Nice Guys, where he's just kind of a sad sack uh, punching bag for most of that film. To something like La La Land, where he's singing and he's dancing and, and you know, he's dealing with the ramifications of... of love and success and lack thereof to something like the big short where you know not a the main character but like a principal character in that film where he's a quick-witted sharp-tongued uh you know stockbroker guy and and he he plays all those roles so well and it really kind of for me anyway it took actually like looking at just a picture of all these movie posters to really grasp how big of a birth he had in this industry and it's impressive now not without his faults you know gangster squad not so good um you know only god forgives i think is pretty 
god-awful. So it's not a clean sweep across the board. He is not without his flaws. Uh, you know, Particularly Gangster Squad, I think not only is that movie bad, but I think he's pretty bad in it. And it, it's a shame. But for the most part, I, I think he is quite a talent and it's not as it's not as easy for me to say that as it kind of sounds if it even sounds easy maybe it doesn't even sound easy because i don't know i just my most distinct memory that's tough like as a kid i watched remember the titans a lot and so i have a very vivid memory of him in that movie being kind of wishy-washy giving up his spot on the defensive line to uh, Donald Faison, Faison, and you know I was like, oh, loved that guy because he actually stepped down when he knew he was supposed to. But then to go from that to like The Notebook and then Blue Valentine and Drive and all these other movies he's been in, like Drive and La La Land and Blade Runner and The Nice Guys and The Big Short and Blue Valentine, the Lars and the Real Girl. Ides of March, these are all such iconic roles to me, and things that I can see so vividly in my head that it's tough to say that one of them really stands out, and I would have to probably say Blade Runner, just because it's the one I've seen most recently, but that's a really good sign, and hopefully he can do the same thing in First Man as Neil Armstrong, because Chazelle's a pretty great director, and Gosling's a pretty great actor, so I'm excited to see their collaboration. So that's Ryan Gosling, number four in November, number 33 overall. Moving up to number three, uh, born in the UK, November 5th, 1960, approximately 57 years old at this, mo- at, this, at this moment in time, with 27 film credits and an average film rating of 68.81 with five films rated below 50, one awful for bad, one Oscar nomination, one Oscar win, a value of 18.5 for a total score of 84.07, so about a point and three-tenths of a point more than Sir Ryan Gosling is Tilda Swinton, ranked 25th. So we're in the top 25 now. Tilda Swinton, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my mistake. Not 25th. She is ranked 26th. And Gosling is ranked 34th. One spot off. I'm sorry. I was misspeaking. Ranked 26th. So just outside the top 25 right this second. Total Swinton is one of the most ethereal creatures ever. She won Best Supporting Actress for her performance in Michael Clayton. A very, very good movie. Uh, but she is, I, I don't know, she is like an artistic quality. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to describe her. She is so fascinating. And her roles, like in We Need to Talk About Kevin, in Adaptation, in A Bigger Splash, in uh, Orlando, particularly man she is brilliant in orlando i loved it 
uh, and and it's just it just starts there. She plays dual roles in Okja, that came out this year. Uh, she was in Moonrise Kingdom and the Grand Budapest Hotel. She played the Ancient One in Doctor Strange, and you know, whitewashing controversy aside, she did great in that role. Uh, her performances in Only Lovers Left Alive and Snowpiercer, I think, are really, really fascinating. Burn After Reading, uh, Trainwreck, um, The Chronicles of Narnia as the witch. I, I love her in these movies, Broken Flowers. You know, she is just, she is a chameleon. She can be absolutely everything you need her to be and more. I am always fascinated when she is on screen. I am always enthralled by her physicality, by her sexuality, by her presentation of herself, her voice. I think she just has this unique and fascinating look to her that I find mesmerizing. And and it's really tough to kind of, I don't know, think of the world of film without her. It's, it's kind of crazy. She would definitely be one of my top actors of all time, statistics or otherwise. Like, she's number 26 right now, and I can totally see that number climbing. Um, I've seen 27 films of hers, as I mentioned, which is, according to Letterboxd, 36% of the 76 films that she's been in. So quite a few that I haven't seen, including, but not limited to, uh, Blue, from 1993, Thumbsucker, 2005, Caravaggio, 1986, The Man from London, 2007, Julia, in 2008, Suspiria, from this year? Is this out yet? That sounds terrible. Are they remaking Suspiria? And it's Luca Guadagnino, who did Call Me By Your Name. Has that really come out this year? That sounds suspect. Uh, the War Zone, Young Adam, The Deep End, Love is the Devil. Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of these films, and I, I'm excited to see them, mostly for the fact that Tilda Swinton is in them. I see her name attached to something, and it's an instant draw for me. I find movies with her in them to be just more exciting. I'm incredibly excited for Isle of Dogs. I love that she is collaborating with Wes Anderson. I think her sensibilities and her just skills as an actor fit so well with what Wes Anderson does. I think, you know, she, along with uh, a Rafe Fiennes and a Bill Murray... Uh, you know, are just are just perfect for that those styles of film, and I'm really excited for her in that. Uh, she is just a voice, as they all are, because it's an animated movie. But that's I'm just I'm super excited, super excited for it. Uh, Tilda Swinton um, is actually you know Grand Budapest Hotel is her best rated film. But surprisingly, second best rated film is actually a narrator role in the documentary Deep Water. This is uh, a film 
Um, it's, it's based on a true story. I mean, it's about a real story who enters the most daring nautical challenge ever. So he is part of the first nonstop around the world solo boat race, which is pretty fascinating on its own. But the the twists and turns that this film takes are pretty fascinating to me. And I find them really I found the film really exciting and in you know, it's a kind of the kind of documentary that like can spoil you can spoil it. And I and you know, I don't know that Tilda Swinton as the narrator really does much to benefit or detract from the film definitely doesn't detract from it her voice is, is so soothing but i would check that out if if you're kind of like into doc- if you're into documentaries and, and real stories and things like that i would give that a look because it's pretty fascinating but all these films uh you know she is you know she can put on any any costume you want her to wear and look better in it than almost everyone else and i i want and hope that she can continue to be this exciting as an actor and hopefully you know she's only 57 she looks like she she uh, i don't know this picture on letterbox is probably significantly dated but she can totally pass for like 40 if not younger than that. She just has... She's like the the Keanu Reeves of women, it seems like. She looks exactly the same now as she did 50 years ago. Give or take. So that's Tilda Swinton, number three, in November, number 26 overall. We've come, out, come now to number two in November... Born in California, November 11th, 1974, 43 years of age, with 23 film credits to his name, an average film rating of 70.43, just three films rated below 50, five Oscar nominations, one win, a film value of 18, he has a total score of 86.3, so more than two points ahead of Tilda Swinton, uh, He's ranked 18th overall into the top 20, and that is Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio celebrated his birthday yesterday as of this recording, two days ago as of when it's released, and he is one of the most fascinating actors around. And I say that because there's just so many narratives swirling around this guy, right? You know, he is one of the most, you know, he, he's one of those actors who is almost 100% of his movies, he's the lead role. You know, think Inception, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, Revenant, Gatsby, Titanic, Shutter Island, The Departed, Gangs of New York, Catch Me If You Can, The Aviator, Romeo and Juliet, The Beach, Revolutionary Road, Blood Diamond, Basketball Diaries, uh, you know, list goes on and on and on. You know, he, he's Tom Cruise in that way. Uh, Marvin's Room, Celebrity. He, he's he's fascinating. 
And even in this, the movies where he's not the lead role, so Django Unchained, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, um, like The Quick and the Dead, uh, he's still a very he's still very prominent. He is still impactful. He plays his part so well that it's not about him kind of stealing the spotlight it's about him molding into the film itself around whoever the lead character really is and that's kind of a fascinating aspect to this guy when he was nominated for Gilbert Grape and you know his performance was so great and this is an anecdote that I've heard and I don't have any substantiated um claims to back up this evidence so grain of salt and that i guess but reportedly he was so good as gilbert grape or he doesn't does he he doesn't play gilbert grape that's giant Depp, as arnie grape sorry that they thought he was actually mentally handicapped the person and he's not you know he is clearly you know well within his mind he has a complete well, I guess you could argue that, but he has a complete grasp on reality and what's going on around him. And so seeing him be normal was just fascinating. You know, he was so young in Gilbert Grape, and it was just remarkable to see him just be himself. And and then now to look at him at, in The Revenant and Inception and Titanic and, and Wolf of Wall Street and all these movies, like he continues to elevate himself and to push himself further and further. Uh, some would say to get an Oscar. Uh, others would say, and and I think I, I'm more in line with the latter in that I think he just wants to stretch his his resume to the furthest reaches it could possibly go. You know, it's not enough to be in one of the most financially successful films of all time in Titanic, it is not enough to be in one of the most visually groundbreaking films uh, of the te- 2010s in Inception. You know, it's not enough to work with Scorsese and Nolan and Tarantino and Inaritu uh, and and Cameron and Spielberg uh, and, and, and Hallstrom, you know, and and Lerman, he has worked with some of the most incredible directors, and he has co-starred with some of the most incredible actors. He's been with Tom Hardy and Jonah Hill, and like everyone in Christopher Nolan's bench, along with Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz, everyone in The Departed and Shutter Island and 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 Claire Danes and Romeo and Juliet, and Cate Blanchett and The Aviator, uh, you know, like uh, Kate Winslet and Titanic. Tom Hanks in Catch Me If You Can, Jimin Hounsou in Blood Diamond, Johnny Depp in Gilbert Grape. You know, it's it's Meryl Streep in Marvin's Room. He is, you know, he's had his fingers in every single pie imaginable. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York. Um, it, it's it's scary, <laughs> almost. It's it's kind of scary to think just how much as an actor he has done and after finally winning an oscar for the revenant like he's peaked i I don't know what else more he can do you know and the one thing he hasn't done 
is join like a blockbuster franchise and frankly he doesn't need to and maybe he never does but you know part of me thinks like how fascinating it would be to see him as a superhero in one of the comic book universes like i think that would be so fascinating and yet at the same time the allure of him never agreeing to join one of those franchises is also part of the charm it's part of what makes him such a good actor and you know you see these movies you know you look at a movie like suburbicon which got tanked at the box office with people like matt damon and oscar isaac george clooney's attached to it you had julianne moore in there and those are like some great names and some big fucking star power and yet I look at it and I'm like, man, if fucking Leonardo DiCaprio was in this movie, there's no way it tanks that hard. There's just something about him. There's just something about his charisma, about his physicality, about his 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 worldview, about the way he acts that just draws people in. For me, my first exposure to him that I can recall was Catch Me If You Can. And this is a 2002 film. So I was 11 or so. And he would have been, what? I forget when he was born. So he, he would have been, what, 28, give or take? Or I guess he would have been 27, probably. Uh, 26, maybe, when they filmed it. So fairly young and early on in his career, but you know definitely had quite some time under his belt. I just I probably had seen Romeo plus Juliet before that, but I wasn't really aware of him as a person and a human being. And man, I thought he was incredible in Catch Me If You Can. I still think the movie is fantastic, but like he and Tom Hanks just back and forth going at it, and you know that's a fairly long movie. Uh, it's like two hours and 20 minutes and it moves by in the blink of an eye and you know frank abernathy jr you know dicaprio just moves from one character to the next in that movie and i was just fascinated by the this chameleon this guy who was a pilot and a doctor and a thief and a cop and a detective and a counterfeiter like all in one and it was just such an exhilarating film. And I was so like excited by him that, you know, I began to kind of focus in and, and look at the Titanics and the Shutter Islands and the Revolutionary Roads and the Gober Grapes and, you know, the, the Quicks and the Deads and the Celebrities and Marvin's Room and Inception and Django, Wolf of Wall Street, Revenant... You know, I just started, I began to consume all of these films that he'd been in. And they just, you know, at some point you think, man, he's got to have a limit. He has got to reach a ceiling. And for me, I think he's been at his best in Wolf of Wall Street. Like for me, that was his pinnacle. I was really upset that he did not win uh, his Oscar that year. I forget what won that year, as it turns out. Um, what year was that? 2013? 
best actor. Uh, not Daniel Day-Lewis, the one after that. No. Which one was it? 86th Oscars? Yeah, best actor. Went to McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, I really do like McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. I think he's really good in that. I still think DiCaprio is better. I don't think it's close. I mean, okay, it's close. It's not by no stretch is it far. But man, Wolf of Wall Street was hilarious. I thought it was brilliant and funny. And I really would, you know, Revenant, he's good. But Revenant is more like an endurance challenge than an acting clinic. Wolf of Wall Street is an acting clinic. And I hate, hate the sort of career Oscar they gave him for Revenant I respect the fact that he should have won one by now but like that's like that's just them making a mistake and I don't like that they correct mistakes and thus cause more like I just just frustrating but regardless uh DiCaprio some of the films of his I haven't seen uh mentioned this already Jay Edgar Body of Lies the Man in the Iron Mask, This Boy's Life from 93, uh, his first film role, Critters 3, uh, Poison Ivy from 92, Total Eclipse, 95, um, and pretty much everything else is is like documentaries about films that he's been in. But he does have four films on the docket uh, that have not been released. So he's given 43 credits right now, 47 with the unreleased films. Uh, including uh, The Devil in the White City, 2020, um, The Cartel, 2018, Killers of the Flower Moon, 2019, and The Black Hand, 2018. Uh, Devil in the White City is Scorsese. I believe The Cartel is a documentary. Killers of the Flower Moon is also Scorsese. And The Black Hand is a cop movie. So, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio might be the biggest selling name around for actors if nothing else is attached to the movie. Uh, He will draw in the box office. He will improve a film. You know, he is that good. You know, looking at the films of his I've seen that aren't good, in my opinion, are The Basketball Diaries, which isn't terrible. It's just a little bit bad. Um, the Beach, I think, is a little worse. And then finally, his lowest rated film, which is still only a 35, is Celebrity. Which he isn't really a super big role in. I just, you know, it's not a great movie. And he's pretty great. He's a fantastic actor. And I don't, I'm just, I'm just fascinated to see what he can do next. And interested in going back and seeing what I've missed so far. You know, I've definitely passed over a handful of films that that he's known for. And so it'll be interesting to see where he can go from here. So that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Number two, November, number 18 overall. And now bringing us to our number one in November a huge jump up from DiCaprio in terms of statistics. Um, born 
in Texas, November 23rd, 1898. Um, the only person born before this person is Claude Rains. She died July 28th, 1984 at the age of 85 with 38 film credits to their name, an average film rating of 73.21, a lot of fantastic films on their resume, and just three bad ones. No Oscar nominations or wins, a value that is second only to uh, our number one in Sherry Lynn. So that value is 34.5. So 16 and a half points more than DiCaprio. To have a total score of 104.05, 18 points higher than DiCaprio, ladies and gentlemen. Number two overall, Bess Flowers. I mentioned her earlier this episode. She is, without a doubt, the best extra to exist ever, ever. She's been in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films. Letterboxd puts her quantity uh, at 400 and I want to say 65. Let me scroll back up to the top here. 479. I have seen 38 of them, as I mentioned, which only puts me at 8%. That's staggering. Uh, She has been in some of the greatest films ever. Uh, My highest rated film that she has appeared in is Judgment at Nuremberg, which is one of the more recent films of hers I've seen. But that is not at all the end of the argument. Starting from the most popular and working my way down, according to Letterboxd, I will just talk about the top 12 films that she or i'm going to list the top 16 films she's been in including rear window singing in the rain vertigo double indemnity all about eve sweet smell of success north by northwest witness for the prosecution it happened one night notorious judgment at nuremberg the bride of frankenstein mildred pierce dial m for murder the original manchurian candidate and laura That is a phenomenal lineup of films that any person would be lucky to credit on their filmography. And that's less than half of the ones I've seen. And she's still been in such classics as Ninotchka, The Bad and the Beautiful, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, uh, White Christmas, To Catch a Thief, Funny Face. The list goes on. It's not enough. You know, like, this is the kind of person that I don't need to seek out films to watch. Like, I don't have to, you know, down specifically look for and find best Flowers movies. She just happens to be in almost everything. So it's really easy for that quantity to jump up. I think I've seen about a dozen films that she's been in this year. And I expect that number to be just as high next year, if not higher. Uh, she's just, you know, it's just, it's undeniable, like, how prolific she was. I mean, it's really easy to be prolific when all you gotta do is walk through a scene to get credit in the movie. But she's so much more than just an extra. Now, her biography 
on Letterboxd lists that says that she's been in over 700 films, which is probably true, uh, as a lot of them, there's a, some, there's quite some discrepancy over on IMDb. And any film that came out in like the 30s to 70s, I'm always hyper aware that I need to double check IMDb to make sure she's not listed in like the doldrums of those numbers. And anytime that happens, I will definitely add that to the movie database and hopefully that will trickle over into Letterboxd. But Best Flowers is not just, you know, just a background extra. You know, she, uh, you know, she just kind of like kind of go down the, 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 her biography a little bit here. You know, she, her debut came in 1923. She appeared three films in 1923. And then uh, she kind of exploded into by the 1930s. Uh, She was in all these, almost every Hitchcock movie and John Ford movie. She was worked with the Three Stooges and Edgar Kennedy and Laurel and Hardy. She appeared in five Best Picture winners, uh, and it happened one night. You can't take it with you. All about Eve, the greatest show on earth, and Around the World in eighty days. Uh, she also she appeared in a total of twenty three Best Picture nominees, uh, which is the most of any actor a lot ever. And the last movie she was in was in was called Good Neighbor Sam in 1964. So from 23 to 64, 41 year span, she was in, you know, if, if we just use 700 as a round number and 40 years, that's so many movies. Like that's 17 and a half movies. No, that's not right. That's, that's 20. Uh, no, that's right. 17 and a half movies a year. A year. That's fucking insane. Uh, she was not just in movies, though. Like, she was in TV shows. I Love Lucy. Um, but in 1945, uh, she helped to found the Screen Extras Guild, uh, which lasted for 46 years, from 1946 to 1992, uh, where she was not just a prominent voice, but one of the it's one of its first vice presidents and recording secretaries. Uh, the Screen Extras Guild ultimately merged with SAG in '92, but that's a, I mean, it's great. Like I love that she did that, and I'm glad she helped sort of recognize and promote the fact that, you know, yeah, you kind of need like a Leonardo DiCaprio to help sell you Inception. But Inception becomes a hollow movie when the city scenes have no background extras in them. You know, you need those pre- that presence. You need these people who are able to like wear a op- police officer's uniform just so that they can get knocked out by the hero. You need these people who are not going to be in a scene for more than two seconds, but they have to be there because without them, you've got no movie. You know, few and far between are the movies that have no extras. And further and uh, fewer and further between are the films with no extras that are successful. And it's, 
great that she did such exemplary work in heralding that aspect of film into a more prominent position and you know she led that led the way as far as i'm concerned in being a background extra being an uncredited actor in a film and you can quibble and quarrel all you want about the fact that she maybe never has a single speaking line of dialogue in any movie she's ever been in and that that alone like kind of unqualifies her in this list and that you know just because the sum of her screen time in 700 movies could end up being you know less than the total amount of screen time for uh, Olivia de Havilland in Gone with the Wind and yet it I, I don't know I just for me it's just impossible to separate best flowers from film and you know you gotta respect what she did and who she was and by doing that I'm adding her and keeping her in the spreadsheet and as much as it can sometimes be frustrating that like Sherry Lynn and Best Flowers are the top rated people on this list because they've been in so many films and because those films are you know really good and they don't really have prominent roles in them that's totally not fair in my opinion you know they're just as likely to be in bad a lot of bad films they are in a lot of good ones and while it so happens that I've seen an overwhelming majority of good films from these people at this point in time, why, you know, I'm not seeking bad films from them, and their time will come, you know, especially under this new scoring system, you know, Sherry Lynn is no longer like 40 points ahead of the second place person, uh, I met Best Flowers is 104.05, Sherry Lynn is at 108.6, so that's like two great films away from best flowers becoming number one and it's not as though those two are in a league all their own you know philip seymour hoffman is in my number three he's got 100 point 100 point six five points so he's less than three points less than four points behind best flowers uh, about eight points behind sherry lynn completely reachable and attainable range so uh you know if it's you know obviously 700 films i'm gonna hit you know, Best Flowers' quantity is going to go through the roof, and there's only so many good films out there, the averages will come down to earth. And I think, to a lesser extent, the same thing is true with Sherry Lynn. She has not been in seven art films, but if she continues to work, I will find more of her films, and they will probably not be as good as Toy Story or Inside Out. So, all that being said... I love Best Flowers. I make it a point of like hyper focusing on movies to make to try and uh, find her in them. Uh, thankfully, a lot of times films will list exactly what she is in a movie. Uh, let me see if I can find a good example of that. So in Now Voyager, she is listed as Lady Behind Charlotte at concert. Uh, so it is generally quite simple to kind of find her. Um, or in The Day the Earth Stood Still, she's listed as Lady Outside Jewelry Store, uh, which is fascinating. And I would love to see kind of a supercut 
of just frames that she's in in every movie she's been in i think that would be fascinating Uh, so number one in november number two overall best flowers queen of the extras queen of november i will now run down the top 10 one last time in quick fashion martin balsam claude rains allison janney Adam Driver, Don Cheadle, Arthur Tovey, Ryan Gosling, Tilda Swinton, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Bess Flowers. Very briefly, some of the statistics, four of those ten people are no longer with living. Uh, As I mentioned before, Adam Driver is the youngest name on this list at just 30. He'll be 34 by the end of the month, so 34 years of age. Uh, Martin Balsam, having been in ten films, that is the lowest number there. However, his average film rating is the highest of these people at 78. Alison Janney's is the lowest at 64.29. Best Flowers has been in the most films, 38. And only Adam Driver on this list has been in zero films rated below 50. Five of these ten people have been nominated for an Oscar as of this moment, um, so not including Martin Balsam. Two of them have won as of this moment, DiCaprio and Tilda Swinton. All of them are ranked within the top 100 right now, uh, which is a pretty substantial feat uh, for any month, you know, regardless of, I don't know, anything. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Good names, good people. You've got up-and-comers, you've got mainstays, you've got classics, and you've got extras and yeah seven men three women not the most balanced diversity wise but it is better than 10 men which i'm pretty sure there's a month that is 10 men and that's really depressing and frustrating so that is all there you have it that is my november born top 10 actors list thank you so much for listening if you have any comments concerns questions or answers you can send those to circle of film at gmail.com if you'd like to check out the podcast the spreadsheet me anything else like that head over to circlefilm.com and if you'd like to support the show in any way shape or form head over to patreon.com slash slash circle of film and as always have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So